Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages. Awesome. So after this, this um, I'm excited for, for just the season and what God is doing and and um, I just want to say a big thank you to all the leaders today who just decked out the... Can we just have a look at that incredible table there? And um, what's, what's really on display is just the heart of generosity. And, and it's a prophetic word today. And um, a prophetic word of giving and taking ownership. And also a prophetic picture of prosperity in the kingdom. And so today I just want to speak about um, prosperity in the kingdom and, and what it means to be prosperous in the kingdom. And um, the, the word prosperity has got such a bad rap in the church. We're going to fix that today. How many of you want to have that fixed today? All right. How many of you want to be prosperous? Can I just see? Okay. Show of hands. Nice and high. Alrighty. How many of you felt a little bad say, saying you want to be prosperous? Anyone in the house? Huh? Anyone? Justin? Is it always that little like earworm that's like ee, ee, ee. <laughs> If someone says that's prosperity gospel, you know they're not giving you a compliment, right? How many of you know that? That's prosperity gospel. It's not a compliment. It, it, it's, it's someone that's trying to take down what God has in store for us. Do we preach prosperity gospel? Heck yes. Because <laughs> God wants us to prosper. Okay, say amen. Okay. We're not using our church to get a private jet. That's not what we're doing. But God wants us to prosper. The Bible says, may your body prosper. And by your body, even everything about you, your marriage, your finances, your friendships, may it prosper even as your soul just gets by. No, prospers. So with that is the core belief that God created us to prosper on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you believe that? Come on. God created us to prosper on earth as it is in heaven. And with that, we, we prosper according to the reality of heaven alive in our hearts. So if some area of your life isn't prospering quite like heaven, then normally it's a wake-up call to go, God, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? Will you fill me with a revelation? I often challenge our people. I say, if Jesus said, and encourages us to pray and ask the Father, Lord, your will on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven, then what part of heaven are we leaving in heaven? And why do we leave it there? And so God's encouraging us to draw into that, to draw into his presence, to draw into the reality of heaven. Luke 16 is an interesting verse, and we're going to get to communion, and we're, trust me, this is a communion message through the door of prosperity, if I can put it that, through the lens of prosperity. And today we're going to take communion and we're going to feast of the fullness of heaven for our families and believe. But we're going to do that through the door of prosperity. Luke 16 verse 10 says, He who is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. We know that verse, right? He who is dishonest in little will also be dishonest in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the case of unrighteous men, who will entrust to you the true riches of the kingdom? And it's quite an interesting verse because it comes after a story where a master was, this is Luke 16 verse 10 to Luke 16 verse 12. It comes after a story of a master who was going to fire his servant and upon hearing that the servant quickly went to all the debtors, to all the people that owed his master money and he said, how much do you owe? And each guy said, so much. And he says, well, yeah, take the debit slip and write half of that. So he sneakily went around and halved all the debt of all of the debtors who owed the master money. Why did he do that? Because he was bringing favor to both the master and himself. If he gets fired, he's the friend of all the debtors. Do you hear that? If he's fired, everyone goes, well, I'm glad that guy helped us just before he got fired. He ensured his next job. That's what he did. But if he didn't get fired... He made his master a hero. Does that make sense? So he put himself in a position that was win-win, both ways. And Jesus marvels at that story and he says, In mammon he worked craftily. In the world system he, he, he worked Faithfully, he marveled that that's this is what Jesus is saying. So now Jesus says, if you don't work faithfully in the mammon system, how will I entrust to you the riches of heaven? In other words, if you can't bring the kingdom of heaven into the world system, you'll never taste the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. See, we weren't created to live outside of the world systems. We were created to master the world systems through the kingdom of heaven. So the attack against prosperity is you don't belong in that world. You don't belong in that system. You'll never achieve it. There's a system outside of that. And we end up with a lot of people who are in lose-lose situations because they haven't brought the wisdom of the kingdom 
into the systems of the world and transform the systems of the world from the inside out. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's just the the intro there. (laughs) What God wants to do, and I'm really... I'm reading a book, or I have been reading a book for a couple of years, and I pick it up often, is, is a book called Money and the Prosperous Soul um, by Stephen De Silva. Um, money, oh, I've, got, I've just hashed the title there. But anyway, <laughs> Stephen De Silva's book on the prosperous soul. And he says the following. He says, we need to replace the lies of poverty and mammon with the message of prosperity, which is truth. And he says, those who are wise will come to understand good and evil. They'll be able to understand what is good and what is evil for them. Because they're testing their life experiences against the blueprint of the kingdom of heaven. And he says it's an exercise. Because in every situation, in every decision you're in, it's a test to test what you're experiencing against what the kingdom of heaven is says for us what the word of God says for us and so it's a constant constant test which we take the truth of the kingdom and we apply it in every situation now we've he says here and he quotes um, C.S. Lewis in the fact that C.S. Lewis says there is poverty and there is mammon and the two play off against each other And the goal is for you to hate the one so much that you fall into the other. That's the craftiness of the enemy. He wants you to hate poverty so much you fall into mammon. And he wants you to hate mammon so much you fall into poverty. And sitting in between is the kingdom of heaven. And there is prosperity. It's neither poverty and it's neither mammon. And God wants us to understand that. And so poverty, what it does is it promotes a negative focus on self. Poverty has one goal, and that is to promote a negative focus on oneself. And now we can talk about a negative focus on everything in every area of our lives. You know, as a teenager, I used to believe I would never be someone of significance. I walked with my head down. Literally. Kid in my class said, don't walk like that. Because I didn't believe I would be anyone of significance. That I would marry anyone of significance. That I would have four children. I thought that my life was going to be a life of loneliness. Because I'm not worth anyone else's love. God came and supernaturally just brought his spirit into that situation. I'll never forget standard eight. God said, this is who you are. Be that person. Supernaturally, in a single day. God healed that. With regards to finances, many of us believe we will never, ever have finance, financial, a financial position of significance. We will never do anything of significance. We will never run businesses of significance. 
And it becomes a lie that's deeply ingrained because we've bought into the spirit of poverty. Now, the spirit of poverty isn't a spirit. It's not a demon that comes into the room. It's a bent. It's a nature. It's an agreement with the lie that you will not be significant. It is a constant negative focus on oneself. Mammon, on the other side, promotes a positive focus, but it's a focus that leads us, that takes the focus off God onto ourselves. Mammon is a folk, mammon is the spirit of mammon says, I can, I will. They forget the I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. It's I can do all things. And the danger with mammon is, is that it draws everyone to themselves on top of that. Mammon uses wealth to draw attention to itself. It brings everyone around. Someone who, is in, who carries a spirit of mammon will draw everyone to themselves and be incredibly proud of that. It's about having leverage and control in community. It's about having a controlling spirit. That is the spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon eventually takes power away from other people. And it robs us or robs the person who is in the spirit of mammon from trusting God for his help and his source. So you can have great wealth and not trust God. Or you can have great wealth and still trust God. Wealth does not equal mammon. It's the spirit behind wealth that equals mammon. And the poverty spirit in the church says wealth equals mammon. So no one gets wealthy because they believe the lie that they're not worth it. Is that good? Mammon urges us to use the power of wealth. It manipulates our natural attraction to beautiful things. How many of you know beautiful things are good? Come on, God didn't make a peach tree blossom pink if he didn't want us to appreciate beautiful things. Every year we smell that smell of jasmine. We appreciate it and we appreciate the wealth of it. Every year we appreciate good things and the spirit of poverty says don't. The spirit of poverty says don't appreciate beautiful things in your life. Be okay with mediocre. Be okay with just enough. Be okay with boring We're doing our mother's room. There's no one in there today. <laughs> I just want to honor, can I honor you guys, Rudolph and Michelle? We've never honored you guys publicly for it. Can you guys stand for us, please? Please. This is not in the, this is, we're going to get rid of whatever pride and whatnot. But do you see that room in the back there? That's their vision. It's also their... <laughs> 
it's also their financial contribution. And then I'm in the office and here arrives a couch as a gift. And then arrives another couch. And there is a couple that have sewn into a room that they also hope to use. <laughs> but I want to honor them today because I said to Rudolf, this is the best mother's room in Pretoria. He said, why not? We've got to expect the best and we've got to make it beautiful. Appreciating beauty and appreciating the best is part of excellence. It's part of honoring God and it's part of welcoming excellence into our lives. So we want to honor you guys for bringing excellence into this place. Thank you. Thank you for setting an example in that area. And I'm not putting them on a pedestal or it is just, let's, that's the spirit of honor. How many of you know the spirit of honor says, well done. The spirit of honor honors someone when honor is due. The spirit of poverty says, don't honor someone. The spirit of poverty wishes that others wouldn't excel. When someone wins the lottery, we wish they would just lose it. <laughs> That's a line straight out of Stephen De Silva's book. <laughs> Don't blame me. <laughs> That's what the spirit of poverty does. It walks around and it hopes that everyone would just fall to their position. Because then, we, then, this, then those who are in the spirit of poverty can be okay with their poverty. But honor says we will honor you for your gift. We will honor you for your generosity. We will honor you for your success. We will praise you. Not in this praise, not, not praise as in praise God. Do you understand? There's, praise means many things. We will celebrate the beauty the excellence that God does in others. It's the spirit of poverty that attacks others in other businesses, in other churches, in other organizations with the spirit of competitiveness. Competition is good. Okay? No one wants to watch rugby when there's no competition. No one wants to see a walkover. But man, there is honor and excellence. And that is the spirit of prosperity. The rich man runs up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of, of God? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Now that's kind of a strange thing, right? To say. Jesus saw something in this rich man. He saw that this rich man wanted to be like Jesus. So he, in his use of the word good, he was actually saying, how do I become like you? How do I have the power and the influence that you have? Good teacher. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Recognizing his intent. His intent was never to enter the kingdom of heaven. His intent was to be like Jesus. And the rich man in this, with the spirit of mammon has drawn everyone to himself. 
He has control over the whole town. He has control over his whole community. And in walks Jesus. And this man's watching his control slip away. And he says, good teacher. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Jesus says, obey all the laws. He says, I've done that. Obviously. Jesus says, sell everything you have. Give it all to the poor and follow me. Now the spirit of poverty preached in the church wants you to sell everything you have and give it to poverty so that you can know Jesus. But that's not what the Bible is speaking about. Jesus understood this man wanted the outcome of ministry. He didn't want the ministry. Does that make sense? This man wanted the good side effects of the ministry. He didn't want the ministry. And Jesus says, sell everything. Why does he say that? Why does he tell a rich man who wants the ministry to sell everything? Because Jesus understands if this man doesn't join them and take ownership of the ministry. And ownership is often seen in such, if it's seen through the long, wrong lens, if it's seen through the lens of poverty, then ownership is give me, give me, give me. And if ownership is seen through the lens of mammon, it is do this, do that, do this, do that. I have control. And Jesus realizes his intent and he realizes to have ownership means you need to let go of the other things you own. Because, here's what's going to happen. If you're going to seek the power of the ministry, if you're going to seek the power that Jesus has, then when the going gets tough, you're going to exit at any time. When the going gets difficult, you're out. When a little bit of offense creeps in, you're back to what you trusted in. He understood this rich guy had his trust in the wrong place. He had his trust in riches. And if he didn't join Jesus with the fullness, with full authority, with full power, by that placing your life in the hands of Jesus and his ministry, then he would never, ever see the kingdom of God manifested through this person. And Jesus had walked the walk, talked the talk. He had, he had asked his disciples to give up their different businesses, their different activities. He had tax collectors. He had fishermen. He had all sorts of people give up their life to trust Jesus in the ministry. Because the ministry doesn't give you a place of position. It doesn't give you a place of control. It doesn't give you a place of influence unless you've given your life to it completely. Does that make sense? Jesus understood that he would have someone who came with him that wouldn't carry the weight. 
By carrying the weight, it means he understands that when this thing falls apart, it falls apart. Does that make sense? How many of you have your own businesses? Can I just see a show, show of hands in the room? Put them high. All right. How many of you understand the weight of carrying your own business? <laughs> right, a few of you. There is a particular weight to the mission and the vision that you're on. There is a particular weight to the mission and the vision that you're involved in. Every one of you is significant in a specific area. And when you understand the full weight of your influence, God gives you power and authority. You see, the spirit of prosperity starts with understanding our responsibility. Responsibility is valuing the spaces we're in, valuing the things we're involved in because Jesus put us there. I love your testimony, Yerusha. <laughs> valuing what you do, valuing the significance of your activities. And that's responsibility. Really, responsibility is more about what can I give to be of influence than what can I be to be of influence. Does that make sense? How can I make myself available? I won't let this fall. I won't let this fail. I'm responsible. And once responsibility is established, then we get given authority. Authority is taking ownership of decisions. You see, when you are responsible with someone else's vision, the ball is still in someone else's court. There's grace for mistakes. There's grace for dropping the ball every now and then. Someone's going to come. Someone's going to help you out. But once you have authority, it's on you. The ball stops in your court. And in that, spiritually, it's time for the body of Christ to recognize that the condition of our earth depends on our ability to bring heaven to it. It depends on our faith. It depends on our hope. And we, when we look out into the world, we're not going, oh, well, that's someone else's problem. We're saying, what can we do to bring the kingdom of God into that? Because authority isn't just a position that's given to you. It's a position that you take hold of. And it's a position that you make yourself available to. And it says, I will be, I will, I will take ownership of that. The buck stops here. <laughs> no more. Or we need more. Does that make sense? In our world, power rests only in God's hands. <laughs> all power, all authority, all dominion has been given to Jesus. And he gave us authority, but the power still rests in God's hands. None of us have the power does that make sense? We get confused with the word power. 
But we can't, my mom says this often to me, you can't be Jesus. <laughs> In a good way. Because I'll come and I'll be like, yo, we've got to solve this problem or we've got it. And she's like, you're not Jesus. And that frees us. Because we can bring the gospel. We can bring the faith. But it's every person's responsibility to stand up in that faith. And I can't take Jesus' place in anyone's life. No pastor should take the role of Jesus in anyone's life. Every pastor, every leader, every father, every mother, every person of influence, every person of authority in the kingdom should be pointing to Jesus who has full power. Mammon says we can be like God. Indeed, God created us in his image. But there's a difference between trying to be God in his place and trying to be God, be like God under his power, under his authority in trust. We are the light of the world. <laughs> but that light points to Jesus. And that light points to God our Father and it always will. It should never point to us. Then there's another group in John 6. John 6. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. How did he feed 5,000? With bread. Where did that bread come from? There's two answers, a little boy and heaven. Which one was it? <laughs> Jesus took what was small and he supernaturally divided it. Other stories talk about how there were 12 baskets left behind. Justin says, well, where did those baskets go? Those disciples went on a lacquer cruise with a basket of bread each. <laughs> but Jesus went to the other side in Mark, uh, in, in John. John. John really writes about the heart. If you're reading John, you don't read John for the facts. You must read John for the heart of what was happening. You must look beyond the facts. You must see the heart of what Jesus was a part of, what he was doing. John was so good at talking about what Jesus really felt. So they go over and John writes, he says, well, the people were there and they'd just eaten their fill of bread and then the next morning they realized Jesus is gone. And the boat that was his is gone. But it so happens that a whole lot of little boats came into the bay and they all got in those little boats and they went after Jesus to the other side. And when they get to the other side, they're hungry again. They're like, we want some more bread. 
And Jesus says, you can read it in John 6, he says, you didn't come for the signs in the mountain, you came for the bread. (laughs) Hear me on this today. Too many people go to church for the bread. Too many people go to church for the nice worship, for the good sound, for the lack of coffee, for the community. It's the spirit of poverty. Can I just say that? They go for the external things, the external niceties. And if the bread is stale, they go somewhere else. Hello? I'm sorry. Justin says, I don't preach what you want to hear, what you should hear. Okay. (laughs) I'm not preaching to this church today, right? No. This is about the kingdom. Too many people look at ministry through the outward experience. They even looked at Jesus. And they were like, more bread please. And Jesus is like, you're not here for the kingdom. You're not here for the spirit. You're not here for what the Holy Spirit brings in his presence. You're not even recognizing the power of God at work. You just want more bread. Hello? (laughs) Anyone feel challenged in the room? You see, when you press into God's presence, you've got to press in for the presence. You mustn't press in for the bread. It's so important that when you pray, when you spend time in God's presence, that you just acknowledge God's presence. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, when they asked, how must we pray? What did Jesus say? Our Father, who art in heaven, who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Wow, I honor your presence. I honor the fact that God, you are real, that you are my Father, and that means so much more than the bread I'm about to pray for. I just am so aware of the reality of who God is. I'm so aware of the reality of who my Father is. And because I know you, Will you give me the bread? Give me this day the bread that I need. Out of relationship, out of fellowship, and out of communion with God. The spirit of poverty says you don't have a relationship with God. So you must ask for bread. The lame man's put out his hands. (laughs) It already becomes a rhyme in all this. But anyway. Peter and James said, we don't have money, but what we do have will change your life. So get up and walk. Wow. Isn't it possible that he was ill from a spirit of poverty? That his whole life he was asking for bread and not asking for the presence of God. And two men came carrying the presence of God and they gave him the presence and there was healing. Physical, bodily healing. So many times we've prayed for people and God has just said, love them. Why? 
Because healing comes through fellowship. Healing comes through communion. So we have community and we have fellowship. But it comes, what comes in that is the demonstration of God's heart. Community shouldn't be for the sake of community. It should be to celebrate God's presence in the community. So that through God's presence we can be that light to each other. Some people said when I ask the church to give high fives, it's really awkward. I say when you lay hands on the sick, they will be healed. So give high fives. (laughs) We've got to expect God's presence to flow through us because that's really the spirit of prosperity. Understanding that what I have to give is powerful. It's the presence of God amongst us. Some of us are afraid of praying for the sick. That's part of the spirit of poverty. That's the lie that says you don't have the power nor the authority to heal the sick just as Jesus said you would. Jesus said lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. No, this guy's got cancer. Ooh, that one's too difficult to pray for. How's our time? One testimony quickly. I told it at our leaders meeting. I, w- I wasn't the senior pastor. I wasn't the leader. I was just taking people around. Took a team from Bethel to Haman's Kroll. And as we walked in, there was a guy in a wheelchair. And I was back of the group. And as this old guy in the wheelchair saw me come past... He said, come here. (laughs) And I'm like, God, not this guy. (laughs) I'll pray for people with headaches. (laughs) Maybe a rash. That's kind of my level of faith right now. (laughs) And so I'm like, Wait, I'll go call someone. And I go find two people in the Bethel team. I bring them. When I brought them, I realized faith at Bethel isn't higher than faith in Oasis. These two people were like, now what? I'm like, the guy wants you to pray for him. He's like, no, I want you. (laughs) I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) I take a moment, I say, Holy Spirit, I have no idea what to pray. I have no idea what to say. But will you be here right now? The old man's grandson comes. We say, well, now we've got to test it, right? We've prayed for him to walk, so let's, let's test this. We pick him up under our arms and like when I say shuffle across the yard I mean shuffle like his feet you know were just coming like this and I thought oh God you've let us down (laughs) thanks God the grandson starts crying he says he hasn't seen his grandfather out of a wheelchair in two years 
And you can see as we just kept, strength just came. And this old man was so happy. He had been touched by the presence of God. Not through Daniel, but because we were, because God was there. You see, when we pray for people, we've got to know that we have a God who is bigger, more powerful, <laughs> more able than anything. If he created this world with a word, he can remove cancers, he can remove anything. Just with a word, just because he said it. Doesn't matter what you are praying for. If God's spirit is there, and if, if what you are praying for is the desire of God, then what you see will take place. You've got to trust for it. You've got to press in. You could, you could literally save someone's life. You won't even notice it. You won't even realize it. The spirit of poverty has removed and taken away financial courage. It's taken away spiritual courage. I was telling our team today, in the week, that you know, the, the, the gateway, the doorway to seeing miracles take place is first to trust God in our finances. Because if you can't trust God in your finances, you're not going to be able to trust God anywhere else. Because the average person spends 80% of their day thinking about finances. And less time about trusting God for his presence. You wake up in the morning and FNB goes, paid. Or it doesn't go. <laughs> so I don't have experience anymore. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this payment did not go through. Oh, thank you, God, for that incredible SMS. <laughs> First thing in the morning. <laughs> And so you start up thinking like that and not thinking about the presence of God, trusting God. And that's the spirit of poverty that's taken so much power from the church. It's taken so much authority from the church. People aren't seeing the kingdom of God because they don't know how to trust God because they don't have real relationship with God because they don't know that he's real. I get so surprised when people from churches get freaked out that God can do something real. God can do real things in our lives. So we have to learn how to live from revelation. Revelation isn't... I mean, I often preach revelation, right? I often will read my Bible and go, whoa. That was a revelation. But how many of you know that what I experience as a revelation isn't something new or isn't a new truth? It was there even before creation. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. So all revelation already existed before time. What revelation is, when we speak about revelation, is really the practice of seeing the truth of the word at practice in our lives. It's going, wow, I see that for the first time. I understand that. How many of you remember your Pernutra box used to have a little 3D print on the back? How many of you are old enough to remember that? And inside was the 3D glasses. My mom brought, bought more Pernutra than ever because we wanted to look at dinosaurs and giraffes and 
things on the back. My mom was like, eh. No, it was big for us because we were like five or six. <laughs> so in the morning, I'd make my Prenutro, pull out my 3D glasses that came with the Prenutro box and I could see an image. That's what the word is. Without the word, life doesn't make sense. The world doesn't make sense. Its systems don't make sense. But revelation places the word of God in front of you and you start looking at the world through the word. You start understanding the, the depths of the word that existed even before creation was created. Nothing can exist in our world unless it comes from God. The enemy has only perverted, the enemy has only twisted what God intended for good. And so we need to start looking at our world through the lens of the word, through the lens of revelation. That's the beginning of all wisdom. Something that we need in prosperity and that comes with prosperity is patience. We need to be patient enough to allow our spirits to experience the presence of God in every circumstance. You know, last week, you know, we went through a little thing and, we, and I'm like, oh, getting into stress mode again. And I'm like, I need to, f-. and God just came and said, you don't need to fix this today. What? Wow. That, wow, that's actually true. So often we, we get so stuck in trying to fix things today that we make the wrong decisions from the wrong spirit. But the spirit of prosperity says, I'm your provider. I'm your helper. If you really believe in me, you're going to wait for me. You're going to trust me. It doesn't have to happen straight away. We need to have the patience to experience the presence of God in every circumstance. Don't move forward until you experience the presence of God. Something I, in an area as an example, I practice that every week is when I prepare a sermon for Sunday. I'll start preparing on a Monday and start just picking up little pieces of scripture and start, God, what are you saying? And putting it all together. And Friday afternoon when I read it, I'm like, yo. I won't share anything until God's presence says, now. Now. Now's the time. Now you've got it. And for me, that's how we have to practice every other area of our lives. We've got to wait till God says, go. Or God says, wait, stop. But don't rush into circumstances without the presence of God. What pulls you is either the spirit of poverty or the spirit of mammon. If it's the presence of God, it will lead you to prosperity in the kingdom, in his timing, in his moment. You've got to wait. All right, the most valuable resources, this is straight from the book, are not those, the most valuable resources are not those that can feed or clothe the body, but those that can save, heal, deliver, and restore the whole man. This is why Jesus looked at the, at the people who came for bread and he was like, I can give you more bread, but you're not going to be whole. The resources I have, (laughs) 
are far bigger. And you can tap into the same resources. Because the valuable things are those that come from heaven. Most valuable resources are resources that save, heal and deliver. And restore the whole man. These are the true riches of the kingdom. So we're going to take up communion. Justin's going to come up in a moment. And just they at a prayer meeting, the leaders at a prayer meeting in the back just before we got going. And they're just going to come declare some truths and bring healing. It was specifically a word about healing, you know, and with regards to communion and, and just do that. But leading up into this week, I just felt that as a prophetic act, our leaders can bring the communion. So they brought the communion. I challenged them. I said, bring what God tells you to bring. <laughs> and they did. And today we want to serve the church body as leaders from a spirit of prosperity, from a spirit that carries the kingdom of heaven, from a spirit that says, I have all the resources I need and can give you because we're tapping into the kingdom of God. And so the resources we're tapping into today aren't resources that can be found in the natural world. They're resources that come from the kingdom, but they're resources that act and work and change the natural world to look more like heaven so that we can become whole, so that we can become full. Is God good? How many of you feel encouraged this morning? Put up your hands, hold it there. Can we just give God an honor for his, his word this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages.